how did you kind of end up where you're at with your YouTube channel? How did you kind of uh, yeah? Where, okay. where did this all start? So yeah, okay, so I'll, I'll give you I'll give you the the the, <laughs> the short version. Um, okay, so so basically, this story I always tell it. It's interesting, right? Because people ask me this question, and I sort of sort of have this sort of uh, stock story I tell, and I kind of wonder sometimes, like, oh, I. It's, it's the same story every time. Is this really what happened? Who knows? But, um, but, but, but it's nevertheless a story I, I sort of have, which is, um, which is, um, which is basically as a teenager, I, you know, was experiencing some sort of existential depression. What's the point of life? That sort of thing probably came from some psychological issues in my upbringing, but also perhaps from, you know, some kind of, um, native interest in this sort of thing, you know, even from, from being a little kid, like a sense of, you know, wonder and a sense of, um, there must be something more essentially, probably I think I had that. I was always kind of a little bit religious, religious as a little kid. And then I became sort of an atheist as a teenager. And then I had this sort of existential depression that I'm talking about. And, um, you know, I grew up in a, um, Hindu household. Uh, but when I would ask complicated questions about philosophy, my relatives couldn't really answer. And not only my, could my relatives not answer, but I remember, for example, um, I don't know, going with, um, going with the relative to one of her teachers, um, you know, and I asked some question like, oh, you know, well, well, you know, if there's karma and rebirth, then what happened in, the, in our very first life? You know, what was, what was the karma then? You know, which mm -hmm. is like, kind of, it's a very valid question, really, actually, even though it's a mm -hmm. little kid question, it's also a valid question. And, you know, he said something like, and it might have been a translation problem, frankly, I think now, but he said something like, such questions should not be asked or something like that. Okay. And I was like, okay, well, okay, I guess there are no answers here. But um, when I was a teenager, what happened is there was a Hindu monk who um, was coming to the U.S. for the first time. And he um, wanted, uh, basically, it was a, my extended family knew him and they asked him to stay with my, um, at my house, basically, for a few weeks. And so when he was there, um, I started talking to him. And I started asking him some of these questions and unlike the others, he actually could engage in a dialogue. Mm. And so, um, and so I started like, just like hammering him with question after question after question, we just, and just got really, really into this dialogue. Um, and, um, and, and that, that sort of, he came back actually year after year for a few weeks at a time. And we would just pretty much the entire time just talk. And, through him, I sort of started to understand there actually were, you know, there's a very sophisticated philosophical system um, behind, um, you know, what I currently teach, which is essentially a contemporary version of Vedanta. And, um, and I was sort of persuaded by that system. And so through high school, I sort of studied informally, very informally through these dialogues with him. Um, and then I sort of thought I understood it, didn't understand it really. I understood, I would say, the rudiments of it you know i understood i understood the big picture of it sort of but i didn't really fully get it um uh going into college i was like okay well i kind of know i want you know i want this self-realization or enlightenment thing and i thought i knew exactly what it would take to get it and you know, i had all these you know um i had all these tasks that i wanted to set myself on to meditate i wanted to you know eat right and sleep right and all these things that people recommend that you do um but very quickly into my college experience, I discovered that uh, I actually um, was finding some kind of psychological barrier to doing those things. Like I didn't want to do them. Like I, mm -hmm. I wanted to do them, but I didn't want to do them. Like I, this is a paradox. Like I thought I wanted this, but then I found myself not motivated to do these things. So mm -hmm. what's the problem? So I thought it was a matter of procrastination. 
like I started reading all these books about procrastination. A lot of people do. Procrastination is not what procrastination seems to be, um, actually. But um, so, and this then kicked off, you know, a long psychological journey for me, which was, um, which was, which took another decade, essentially. I, I stayed with the spiritual during that time, you know, um, but it sort of went in and out of focus and to and from the foreground. Um, but meanwhile, I sort of had to sort of discover a lot of things about myself, about things I'd been sort of, um, you know, not dealing with in terms of my, you know, past and upbringing and stuff like that. Um, I did a bunch of therapy, psychoanalysis, which I'm a big proponent of, um, in particular, it was very, very helpful. But, um, so anyway, so th that, that took the, essentially the next, you know, I don't know, 10, 12 years beyond that point or more. Um, but even in college, even when I was sort of in that initial phase, um, I did encounter Ramana Maharishi and I already had, you know, you know, a reasonable intellectual understanding of Vedanta. And when I came upon Ramana Maharishi, um, I knew he was, I knew he was special immediately. I immediately, I immediately felt like, oh, you know, he knows what he's talking about. There's something very deep and profound here. Um, but I didn't fully understand him. And so, uh, and I knew that as well. So after, you know, I'm glossing over this long psychological journey of the next 12 years, um, you know, uh, 12, yeah, really, yeah, 12, 13 years, something like that. Anyway, I, I, I was asked at that point, and again, I'd stayed with Vedanta and the spiritual more or less in various ways. And I, my understanding was increasing over time um, as I was sort of undoing these various knots in my own psyche and things I'd been dishonest with myself about and stuff like that. Um, but I was sort of asked at a certain point to teach this or really lead this kind of reading group on Hindu scripture with just a few interested people. And I said, okay, sure. And somehow I thought, oh, maybe let me try Ramana Maharishi again. And this time when I revisited it, you know, whatever, 13 years later, whatever, something like that, um, I was reading it. I was like, oh my God, I actually understand this much, much better. It's far clearer. And uh, of course I had been the one who had changed in the meantime. And so, uh, and so that, so then that, uh, sort of um, struck off this period for me of I was I got really into Ramana Maharishi and I really started to um, practice uh, what he was recommending for about a year or so. And after about a year, you know, um, I would say that, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, clarity dawned, you know, complete clarity dawned. And, um, and, uh, and at that point, I decided to start to teach. So that was probably about late late 2017, something like that. Mm. Um, you know, and so, uh, yeah. And then, you know, then it was a matter of trying to figure out, well, how best to reach out to people. I mean, truth be told, I'm a terrible marketer. Um, <laughs> not really my spell. There are probably psychological issues there too, you know, I'm no doubt, no doubt. Um, but, um, but I decided, you know, let me just start putting some stuff out, some videos. I put out, put out a couple books. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and then I, I basically, you know, mostly right now, I don't know if this is going to continue to be my main focus in the long run, but at least for the moment, I mainly work with people one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and I do a little bit of group stuff here and there. I know it's, it's different than a lot of other teachers who have, you know, lots of retreats and satsangs, things like that. And I, I feel like I, maybe I should have more of that, but I don't as of the moment. Um, but uh, maybe I will. But yeah, so, 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 but I have had been for, have had, you know, um, a lot of really, um, wonderful students and, and they're very, very interesting people. And I'm, you know, and it's been a blessing to work with them and help them. And, um, and that's what, that's what it's been like essentially over the last, last couple of years now. That's awesome, man. 
So when uh, these students come to you, what do they want out of your teachings? Would you say what would what are they seeking when yeah, they, I mean, they come to you? The, the students who at least so there, you know, I think there are, there are some differences. Um, but basically, the students with whom I think I'm the best match uh, are looking for lack of better words for realization and they often are people who have already had some background in non-duality um, and who maybe have encountered other teachers probably have encountered Ramana Maharishi um, and maybe have experimented with some kind of meditation at some point um, but they're kind of uh, a little confused and they want some guidance and they want to understand like how do I actually kind of make it to the quote-unquote end of this process you know mm -hmm. Um, and understanding what that entails and what it means and what it takes and working through the obstacles in between. Um, yeah, so that's basically that's basically what um, what happens now. I mean, there are people who with whom I'm not as good a match, you know, um, who are a different sort of um, different sort of points on the process. Like, for example, there might be people who, you know, who who have, you know, very, very strong psychological obstacles. And again, I'm a huge proponent of, of, of psychoanalysis in particular. I do tell some of my students, even some of my students who are with me and who continue to be with me, you know, go get therapy. That would be helpful for you. Um, and some of them take my advice, some of them don't. But um, but there are people for whom, um, for whom, for example, uh, they really just can't proceed without it, actually. And they kind of fall away because uh, it they have um, various essentially unconscious obstacles to the spiritual search within themselves that prevent them so, that prevent them from being um, fully motivated, essentially, to to give it their all. Um, and so, so those people, for example, end up falling away or might be other people who, um, who are more uh, interested in something very, um, let's say something very, very secular, right? Like they haven't somehow thought about meditation and they just think, oh, meditation, but they're not really interested in the spiritual quest per se, you know? And um, I think I'm not probably usually not, not always, but usually not the best match for those people. Um, you know, because there's inevitably a strong spiritual component. It's not just relaxation, not just meditation. There's a spiritual component. Um, you know, so there's different sort of people, different sort of things that people are seeking, some of whom are not as good a match. Uh, but I think the people who are good to match are people who are looking, who are looking essentially for ultimate truth, you know, ultimate truth um, or, and, or, you know, the end of quote unquote suffering um, and who for whom a bell has already been rung in them such that they kind of are attracted to non-duality as the means to that, mm. you know, and that they already are kind of more or less relatively have some faith in that process, you know, maybe not complete faith, but some faith. Yeah. So, so, um, so I think that's, that's, um, that's who I, who I usually uh, tend to work best with. Mm. So yeah, you're just kind of guide them along, kind of like helping people along the path. Yeah, people are trying to understand, right? I mean, there's 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 issues of understanding, issues of, of what is the path all about, you know, questions about all kinds of questions, um, you know, about about uh, about the philosophy, the metaphysics. There's there's part of that. I mean, you know, um, that intersects with uh, questions about about the practice, you know, and um, questions about how, how to evaluate the progress, how to how to deal with obstacles. Um, that's that's most of it. Right. Mm. That's most of it. And then, you know, um, you know, uh, I think anything else, that's probably 90, 
98% of what we do, right? And then, you know, yeah, so troubleshooting, troubleshooting being a kind of uh, motivation and um, uh, uh, pointing, pushing, you know, um, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Yeah. So how do you guide somebody to a direct realization of the quote unquote ultimate truth mm -hmm. with your words when the ultimate truth goes beyond words? Absolutely. So, so, so the answer is it's, it's, it's primarily through the recommendation of practice. So, so what Ramana Maharshi says, this is again, my interpretation of him, obviously is, um, you know, words are essentially there to get you to look within, mm -hmm. you know, the words themselves don't, can't communicate the truth. What they can get you to do is get you to look within mm -hmm. and 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 the two main methods which are really ultimately the same method actually but they're slightly different views um from Maharishi's standpoint um are self-inquiry and surrender and both of those methods are essentially recommendations to turn the attention away from the changeable objects of experience you know, when you, when you turn your attention away from the changeable objects of experience, when you try to sift away the changeable objects of experience, then eventually what you will be left with uh, is something which is inexpressible. And, you know, and, and um, that process, right? So, 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 so I cannot communicate the truth directly. What I can do is I can get people to engage in that process, basically. Mm -hmm. And then through their own efforts, what happens is, you know, it's not, you know, <laughs> the truth is basically um, uh, appears to be obscured by, um, by what are essentially called attachments, attachments to, um, to, uh, to a certain kind of identity, you know, and the, the desires and fears that flow from that identity um, and that reinforce that identity. So it's kind of a cycle, you know, desires, fear, identities are all part of the same thing. And so, by turning the attention inward, what happens is, is that the mind um, starts to encounter uh, an inner peace. And the inner peace uh, draws the mind away, systematically away from these attachments, because why would I go and deal with the pains of the world when I can just find inner peace by looking within? So this inner peace is not the ultimate inner peace, yes, it's just a relative inner peace, right? You start to concentrate the mind inward and the process you're like, oh, actually there's something here that's blissful that, you know, and, and that process then snowballs, right? Because then more you want more and more and more peace inward and less and less and less looking for stuff outward. And, and that starts to weaken the attachments, weaken the habits, weaken the identity. And those are the obstructions to, to clear seeing basically, because um, one can be told, you know, um, one is a self. Actually, that's really all you need to hear. If your mind is very, very pure, those words will prompt you to look inward and that one look will be sufficient in a very, very pure mind. What does a pure mind mean? A pure mind mean, mean uh, mind is one that is, um, has very, very weak or few attachments basically. And so is relatively still. So, um, so the process is basically, you know, turn the mind inward, start to encounter inner peace, um, want more of that inner peace, right? Detach from the external things um, more and more and more. And then the mind goes further and further and further and deeper and deeper and deeper into that. Um, and eventually when the attachments and destructions are sufficiently weakened, um, there are, uh, there's clarity, 
I mean, and there could be sort of in between things, right? There could be moments of clarity, what are called, you know, what I call, you know, glimpses essentially, moments of clarity. Um, but then the mind is drawn back because of remaining attachments. But, you know, but those moments of clarity have nevertheless weakened the attachments further. And then you mm -hmm. do it again and again and again and again until the attachments are eventually, you know, break basically that, you know, the, the, um, the critical mass of it has to be, has to be, has to be broken. And, and then, and then, and then clarity automatically arises basically. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Easier said than done, huh? Easier said than done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It seems like that's the, the whole point of this quote unquote spiritual journey is to, you know, putting it very simply is just to uh, detach ourselves from the outside world that we think is going to make us happy or make us pure or, you know, show us who we are but it's not it's it's not you're not gonna find that from the outside world whatsoever the, the only way is within um just the, it's the hardest part is walking the path you know, you know doing the doing the work i guess you could say yes staying disciplined in that yes 100 100 agree exactly that's exactly right that's exactly right and it's great pleasure to do it it's the truth right and the reality is people think people think the world is is pleasurable and and um you know uh that that the spiritual path is 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 in a way about um giving up pleasure but the reality is actually that the, that, the, that the pleasure of the outside world is just um a reflection of the pleasure of the self that's it and so and and, and strictly speaking inferior to it and um and 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 bliss you know there is a reason that that um the self is called bliss you know it's not exactly and precisely uh it's not exactly the same as the bliss of the outside world because the bliss of the outside world is marked by um, a contrast between pain, pain and pleasure, you know, whereas the bliss of the self is continuous, but, you know, but it is called bliss for a reason. And so, you know, uh, you know the, 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 the Buddha talked about, um, you know, people think the world is pleasurable, um, but it's really the kind of pleasure that you get from touching a red hot iron bar and then letting go, you know, it's mm. like, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's the pleasure of, 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 of briefly stopping pain basically, you know? Mm. And good. so, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so it's a, so it, that can be difficult for people to let go of, but they have to realize that, um, you know, the practice itself is actually quite, you know, is in a way it's, it's the point, you know, the, 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 the state of concentration that you achieve is, um, is pleasurable. The reason I, I mean, the reason I'm putting this, putting it this way is the point is it's not just all eating your vegetables, you know, you're really eating, you're really, you're really feasting on the honey inside actually, you know, mm. what you're trying to do. Um, so uh, it, it's, uh, it is difficult, but it's difficult only because, only because of the habits that have attached people to pain, you know? Mm. Yeah. Do you think that's kind of, for lack of better words, why we're here in this incarnation, kind of to, like, the game of life is one of detaching ourselves from the outside, our outside aspect of ourself, and then really finding out what we are, like, really finding out what it means to be a human being beyond this meat suit, beyond the attachments of the meat suit, like, really what it is to just simply be a conscious uh, be a conscious being in whatever that means. Uh, do you think that's kind of what the, the truth is the, the best way that we can describe it? Well, so when you just said, I think, I think your initial way of phrasing was like, Oh, this is like the purpose of this incarnation, right? Is that, that you're, you're sort of getting at yeah, pretty much. Um, so, you know, 
it's it's tricky to answer that because um you know uh i would say I, I would say it depends you know it depends on what we mean by that like 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 uh there's there's a story <laughs> i i think every purpose itself is a concept okay is itself a concept that's sort of built on you might say egoic foundations um you know and and what the purpose of things is is uh in a way, it's a human way of looking at it. Um, uh, you know, reality might be beyond purpose as we understand purpose. You know, um, and and different people might have different purposes. Right? The reality is, you know, incarnation. People are all doing different things, and and what they're doing in a way is uh, what they can't help but do. You know, everyone is is uh, hot in the machines. Of, you know, in, in God's machine, and and God is directing them as as God wills, basically. Um, so it might turn out for the for the spiritual aspirant. You know. For them, their purpose is this. For other people, their purpose might be something else. And the reality is, is all the self, actually. Um, and at a deeper level, really, um, you know, uh, so Vedanta, and 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 I would point, I would say this is in a way, you know, there's there's an element of this is the deeper truth that um, the idea that there's manifestation at all is um, is uh, questionable. You know, so so it's not precisely that there's nothing, um, but the moment you say there is something, now you've entered, you might say, the egoic position because now you're asserting that there is an experiencer. You know, and mm. and the ego is idea that there is an experiencer, there's a doer, right? Um, and so so if you then because if you say there is manifestation, and then we're talking about the purpose of this manifestation is like something like oh to find our real nature or something like that, you know. It's a way of putting it. It's a way of putting it. It's not. I won't say exactly it's wrong, but I would just note that um, that it's still, you know, it, it makes a lot of assumptions. It makes a lot of assumptions about uh, about what um, what's really going on, basically. And and I would suggest that that ultimately the truth is um, outside of assumptions. Outside of assumptions. You know, mm -hmm. so, so we can debate, we can debate like, oh, yeah, you know, as soon as we're in the egoic viewpoint and we're talking about what's happening, then, you know, it can be very fun to speculate about what's going on. Why? But um, but you really can't uh, you really can't won't be able to ever come to any conclusions on that point, because once you've once you've stated that there is something happening, now you've entered the labyrinth of the mm. ego and okay. there is no escape from the labyrinth of the ego because, you know, the first step already dooms you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what we want is to recognize what the real escape is, is uh, I've never entered it. I've never entered. Meaning, meaning that um, who is it that says that there is anything going on here? You know, that's the actual non-dual inquiry, right? Who is it that says that there's an incarnation, right? Who is it that says that um, I'm here to do something or, or, or there's anything going on, right? Actually, that's, that's, um, we don't know the answer to that question, right? Until we look. So, uh, so that's my that that would be downside. There's many different ways of saying, like, you know, why why is the world here? But is the world here? I would say is a more interesting question. Yeah, because mm. ultimately, no explanation in words of what the purpose of the world is is going to be um, that satisfying because you can't prove it. Yeah. You can't prove it. You know, and we don't have access to God's mind. And so, if we enter if we assert that there is manifestation and stuff happening and we want to know why, then all we can say is, well, God knows, but we don't, we're mortals, you know? 
Um, but the exit from the problem is to look at it, to, to, to want to examine who it is that believes that anything's happening. You know, mm -hmm. that's how you sort of um, transcend that issue. I don't know if that makes any sense. Definitely. Yeah, that makes, I mean, it makes sense to the best that we can convey it with words. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so the truth lies in self-inquiry, right? Is kind of what I'm getting. What is the process, or at least your process of self-inquiry, if you could put it simply? Sure. So um, so the way I uh, explain self-inquiry is that you have a very basic, mundane, you know, sense of uh, being here right now. Like, I'm here, I'm listening to this conversation, I'm looking around, I have perceptions, thoughts, feelings, right? Um, I, I am seeming to be the witness of all of this. Um, and we kind of understand what like perceptions are, like perceptions come through our vision and our, you know, hearing and whatnot. And we have this, we can sort of like point to what a thought is in a way or a feeling, right? Like, oh yeah, there are like these sort of sensations of a sort, you know? Um, but we also have simultaneously with any, all of these have this knowledge that I exist as a witness to these things. Self-inquiry is trying to say, okay, turn your attention towards that, that I, that I, which is coming into your own experience. Like, like what exactly is it? Like mm -hmm. look in your own experience and try to examine what it is. And um, the cardinal rule of inquiry is um, if you can experience it, then that isn't the I. Hmm. That's that's the cardinal rule. Now that may not be the rule ultimately, in you know, in, in the in the end game, but it's the rule for the moment. So so when you do inquiry, you're, what you're doing, so for, for example, right? So, so just to give you an actual example of how this works, you might say you might you might turn inward and um, uh, try to examine the eye. Uh, where what is it? Where is it coming from? I mean, and even these questions like what is it? Where is it coming from? Are just prompts. You don't actually need the questions. What there is is the experience of the I um, th that you're having, you know? Because when you, for example, like, I don't know, you, you look at the screen in front of you, there are two things that are happening. One is you see the screen in front of you, but simultaneous with that, you also know I'm aware of the screen and I'm not the screen. That is to say, there's a distance between me and the screen. If there weren't a distance between me and the screen, I wouldn't be able to see the screen as a separate object. The screen is only perceptible because I am apart from it, looking at it, not it. Mm. So, so what is this I that is not the screen? What is this I that is not the perceptions? What is this I that is that is not the thoughts, not the feelings? But that, that's right here. It's right here. I'm experiencing it continuously. Turn your attention towards that. And so someone might say, okay, well, if I turn my attention towards that, I, I feel it to be, let's say, somewhere in my head or something like that. Some people might say that, for example. And then if you apply the sort of cardinal rule of inquiry and you say, okay, well, you've turned your attention towards the eye and you think it's somewhere in your head. Are you aware of this sensation somewhere in your head? And of course, they're going to have to respond, yes, they, yes, I am. So if you're aware of it, then clearly it cannot be the eye because your eye am aware of this sensation in my head, right? So it can't yeah. be the eye. It's, it's another object, basically. Mm -hmm. And so... So then again, so then you just repeat that, right? I mean, you can view it one of two ways at that point. You can say, well, who's aware of that? 
That's one way of looking at it. Or you could just repeat. You can say, well, where is the I period? It doesn't really matter whether you quote unquote, you know, peel back layers or you or you just repeat the inquiry from the beginning. These are all, it doesn't matter. But what matters is that you return and attempt to hunt down this very obvious thing, right? This I is not some abstract conception in the distance. It's not like looking for God or looking for some weird thing that we've heard about, like the self with a capital S. You know, we're not looking for something which we've heard about. We're looking for something which is right here, which we are literally experiencing right now in every moment. You know, it's the it's the immediate obvious thing, but but then it's remarkably elusive as soon as we start looking for it because. We are looking for the subject, which experiences all the objects, um, but all we find is a series of objects. <laughs> yeah. um, but but that's not the conclusion. So we can't just say, oh, it's impossible, because that's that's another thing people come to, like, it's impossible, it's a futile, impasse, dead end. No, because um, even at the dead end, who is aware of the dead end? Who is aware of the impasse? Who is it? Who is aware of the inability to get anywhere? You, you right there. You're right there experiencing it all. So... What appears to be a dead end is um, essentially is um, uh, it's a false dead end, and it, it what really is 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 there is um, it's that you're held back from the realization by your attachments. So by continuously engaging the attempt at the inquiry, even if you don't feel like you can go forward, but continuously trying to reorient yourself towards the eye, it's really kind of process of like you can't actually grasp it, right? You're unable to. I mean, you know, there is a kind of grasping at the end once there's clarity. But um, but but for the for most seekers, most of the time, it's going to be this feeling of frustration of various kinds. Um, but but by staying with that and reorienting yourself over and over and over and over and over again to that eye, chasing it through the series of objects that your mind goes through, and saying, well, who's aware of this? 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 Right. Um, that's what's going to weaken the attachments because you're going to start concentrating on the inquiry and the concentration of the inquiry will itself bring about um, a certain inner peace. And that mm -hmm. inner peace, like I said, is what's going to weaken the attachments. Um, also, you know, so inner peace weakens the attachments. The other part that weakens the attachments in the inquiry is um, why is it that you care about the world, right? Like anything in the world matters to you because it feels like um, I am involved, right? Like, my career, my family, my relationships, you know, my future that I'm going to deal with tomorrow and whatnot. Um, but if you stop for a second and say, well, yeah, but who exactly is this I that I'm talking about? Like, like suddenly you're stopped short because you're not quite sure what that is. Like, yeah, I'm me, aren't I? Like that's, that's how it goes, right? You know, you, you just take it for granted that you kind of know what that is, but you don't actually know what it is. Yeah. Again, in your own experience, like you're experiencing it, but you don't. But then if you actually look at what that experience is, I don't actually know what this is. I, mean, I, I thought I knew, but I don't. And so when, when, when that occurs to you, um, that tends to throw uh, kind of like a, like a wedge in the sort of wheel of, um, of, of interest in the world, because it's sort of, it sort of be like you're, you know, you have a work meeting in an hour or something like that. And, you know, you go to the, you go to the bathroom um, to like, I don't know, wash up or something like that. And you look in the mirror and you suddenly realize that, um, you know, the face that stares back at you is not your own, mm. you know, like somebody else's face, you mm -hmm. know, how important would that work meeting then be? 
right? Like yeah. not very important. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're like, what is going on, right? You'd be like, am I going insane? What's happening, right? So, so, so if you actually take the inquiry question seriously, it's kind of pointing to that. It's like, oh my God, I actually literally, literally, not figurative, literally don't know who I am, you know? So what does it matter? Uh, any of these things, you know, everything would grind to a halt, really, if we take it very seriously until I know who I am. Like, I'm, you know, so, so that's the other way it sort of, you know, stops, um, stops the attachments from working over time, basically. Mm. Well, so, that's... So, that's how, so that's how inquiry works, basically. So you just, you pursue this refocus, 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 refocus on the eye. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what Ramana Maharshi was, that's what he was pretty much preaching. Yeah, I mean, so he probably, so I would say he preached two things, you know, which are very related and almost the same. So one is, one is inquiry and the other is surrender. So, so surrender is, um, uh, you know, it's seemingly different, but actually more or less the same. So what surrender is, so inquiry is a sort of, it's, it's, um, and different people are sort of drawn to these different methods in different proportions, I would say. Um, but, uh, inquiry is sort of this presents this kind of riddle in a way, because, here's something that's really obvious, but when I look for it, it's gone, you know? Mm-hmm. Here's something that I'm experiencing continuously, but I can't seem to find it, you know? That's, <laughs> that's funny, that's- I was watching your videos and I was like, the way you put it, I, I thought in my head, I was like, these are like riddles. So it's funny yeah. that you use that word. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, very much so, it is a riddle. And that's why, you know, you have the idea like in, in like Zen and stuff like that, of like a koan, the koan is that kind of riddle. It's precisely yeah. a riddle like that. Mm-hmm. Um, surrender is a different approach. Surrender is, um, surrender is, uh, it's less of the riddle flavor and more of, uh, so, so basically I, basically I teach surrender is, um, ignore all thought and relax. Okay. And by the way, so, um, so, so surrender and self inquiry per Maharishi's instructions are to be done continuously. They're not methods of sitting meditation. You can do them sitting if you want, but they're not really about, uh, I'm going to do them for an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening. They're about, doing these methods continuously, continuously, or as close to that as possible. I mean, it's not going to be, you're going to fail probably initially if you try it like that, but, but, um, but that's okay. Like you, you fail and you keep trying and trying and trying and trying to get better at it. But um, anyway, so surrender is, um, you know, my, the way I, I, I teach it is ignore, ignore all thought and relax. And what does that mean? So ignore all thought uh, would be something like, you know, imagine there's a TV in the corner and the TV is playing and everything, really everything that's going on is, is on the TV. You don't have to turn the TV off. So you don't have to stop thought. You don't have to kick thought out. Um, you don't have to even change the channel and you don't have to notice everything that's on the TV. You just have to ignore the TV. Whatever the TV is saying, just don't pay attention to it as best you can. It'll still be going on in the background in some way, but you're not gonna let your, your foreground attention go to it, you know? Um, that's what ignoring all thought is. And relaxing means, and it's really, really almost the same thing really, but relaxing just means, does not mean you have to feel relaxed. You do not have to feel relaxed. You could feel relaxed, but you don't have to feel relaxed. Relax just means that you don't put in voluntary effort. You don't put in deliberate voluntary effort towards anything except the surrender process itself. So in surrender, what you're doing is you are deliberately ignoring you, I could say all thought, or I could really literally say everything because these are the same thing actually. So ignore all thought or ignore everything and relax and just keep that going. <laughs> ignore everything except the process of surrender itself. And so the, and the process of surrender is a continuous ignoring and ignoring and ignoring and ignoring. And also that, you know, so, 
there's different ways of looking at this, but um, you know, I I I'll bring up a couple points. One is that when you're ignoring, um, it's never that you come to a point when there's nothing left to ignore. You hmm. there's always more to ignore. Even when you've ignored one thing, another thing is there. You, you take one thing away, and there's something that remains. Well, now ignore that, and then ignore that, and then ignore that. And even if you come to a so-called silence, you're noticing the silence. So if it's a notice, now it's a thought. So ignore that. So ignore even the silence. Ignore even the silence. Hmm. So you want to keep ignoring and ignoring and ignoring. Now, these seem superficially different, right? Inquiry and surrender seem superficially different. Surrender is, uh, inquiry is actively looking and trying to solve the riddle of the self, uh, the I in particular. And um, surrender is kind of seemingly more like uh, passive, quote unquote. So it seems. Actually, it's not really passive. You're, there's intense concentration that's required to ignore everything and relax. Um, but what's happening is with inquiry, when you plunge into the I, um, what are you doing to the objects of the world? Well, surrendering. You're surrendering, exactly. You're ignoring them because mm -hmm. precisely, yeah, you're ignoring them, exactly. So, so, um, so, so you are, you know, you are essentially surrendering them precisely. And, and similarly, when you're surrendering and you're ignoring everything and relaxing, um, where is your attention backing into? Myself, I guess. I don't yeah, know. exactly. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Essentially, yeah, exactly. The subject, the I. Because, because when you're ignoring the objects, there's only one place you can go, which is the subject. Mm. So that's so really, inquiry is you're going forward into the I and surrender is, quote unquote, you're backing into the I. They're really exactly the same thing, just slightly different flavors. Some people find one or the other more amenable. But, um, but the process is basically the same. You know, uh, you know, ignore the objects of the world and discern, discern away, you know, finer and finer, subtler and subtler layers of that, basically. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then, and then, and again, eventually clarity is, clarity is reached when the attachments are, are sufficiently weakened. You know, great. It's almost, they're exactly the same thing. When you, when you, when the attachments are weakened, clarity increases. These are, these are, you know, basically linked. And, and when clarity increases, attachments decrease. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, um, is that the, would you say this is the, this is the way to peace? This is how yeah. we kind of become, I don't even say happy, but like, you know, like you said, yes. you, 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 uh, you purify the mind and reach that state, that blissful state that we all are naturally. Yes, 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 exactly. That's exactly right. So, um, so yeah, so, um, I mean, I think, I think, um, you, you kind of touched on it a second ago when you said, uh, you know, uh, you wouldn't, you know, not exactly happy. You know, I, I think you're exactly correct because, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of a, um, difficult thing for the mind to digest here, which is that we're, we're, we're going through these, through inquiry and surrender to an, in, you get to an increasingly peaceful mind, an increasingly still mind, an increasingly quiet mind, an increasingly detached mind. Um, but that's not the end of the process. Um, the end of the process is, has to ultimately culminate in um, uh, the in, an insight, essentially, that, that, that one is not defined by mental states at all. You know, so it's insufficient to merely have a peaceful mind. That's very good, but it's insufficient. It's very important to have that, 
in order to get the insight. But um, but but even however peaceful a mind you may have, um, it's nevertheless going to occasionally be interrupted. And so what we're trying to get to do is to go from the peaceful mind to through surrender. This happens automatically through surrender and inquiry. This final piece, um, but but to the recognition of. Uh, that we aren't defined by states of mind at all. Mm -hmm. We aren't defined by states of mind at all. That even when the mind, technically speaking, even when the mind is depressed, even when it's anxious, even when it's fearful, encountering all these negative emotions, um, we, what we really are, is not affected by any of those things, not even for a second, not even for a second. Mm -hmm. and, um, and the bliss of the self runs continuously throughout all those states. So, so in order to get that uh, that insight, we have to go through this process, however. But the end of that process will be actually that, um, in fact, we were that all the time. And this entire process has, has been, in some sense, um, fictional. you know. Um, mm. And the effort we put in as seekers was also fictional. And in fact, even the recognition, even enlightened itself, is, in some sense, fictional. So uh, all of that comes at the end. But um, this, the spiritual seeker has to maintain um, uh, what I call sort of the seeker's paradox, which is, you know, I'm already that, and yet I have to put an effort. You know, both of these have to be maintained simultaneously, you know. Oh. Hmm, that's heavy stuff, man. That's heavy stuff for the mind, you know. <laughs> yeah, it is. But it is, it is the path. It is the path, the path to bliss. Absolutely. It's the path to celestial bliss. That's what we're all looking for, and that's what's there. It's also the path to the end of... Uh, to the, to the, you know, to that sort of, at least the bite that, you know, the existential questions have on us, like, like, what's the point of it all? And why is there anything, you know, and all that sort of thing? Um, you know, it's not, not precisely that those questions are given um, verbal answers, but, uh, but like the, like that sort of like the pain associated with those questions mm. goes away because, uh, because okay. there is a deeper understanding that can't be put into words about how, those questions are themselves uh, in some sense based on a um, incorrect assumption, basically. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Wow. So do you have a personal practice, like a, some, something that you do on a regular basis? Or is it just like a, you know, do you have like a meditation practice, a yoga practice or anything? Uh no, not to? really. No, I mean, not really. No, because, because, you know, the, uh, the ultimate point of, of all of this is, is to get beyond practice, right? We practice so that we get, we're no longer dependent upon practice. I mean, you know, I, I do, you know, <laughs> I do you know, sit for five minutes in the morning, um, just out of habit. And, and, um, and you might, there may be occasional thoughts of, of surrender or something like that that come up. Um, but the reality is, is that those are uh, irrelevant in, mm. the end, in the end, you know, that the, the, what we're trying to get to is a clarity uh, which is no longer dependent upon practice or, or alternatively, you know, where the mind is so, um, you can view it different ways, but where the mind is so, um, has developed such a new way of being that has now become so habitual that it no longer feels like you're doing anything. You know, there's, it, it becomes entirely automatic, you know? Mm. And so that's another way of looking at it. There's different ways of looking at it, but, but we want to, we're doing practice so that we get past practice in the end. That's, mm -hmm. that's the goal. We don't want to be dependent on practice. I see. 
that's like the, the the seeker's paradox like you said the spiritual paradox yeah yeah because i mean right i mean you seek there is an end to the seeking you know there's a finding of sorts it's just not what you think it is but but there is a finding um uh of sorts <laughs> mm. and that finding is liberation from effort and that includes the effort of spiritual seeking so mm -hmm. we don't seek forever um you know we seek until until um until the until the attachments are destroyed basically <laughs> so what if i ask you what is god how would you describe that mm. i know you can't put it in the words but if you can it's the best of your ability yeah i mean see God is what is when the mind is suspended. <laughs> mm. That's good. That's a good answer. Yeah. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's, and when the mind isn't suspended, God continues to be there. So it's, you know, but, but, but that's, that's really what it is, right? God is, God is. God is. God is. And frankly, <laughs> God is not too, you know, God, God is beyond is and is not, you know, God is mm. beyond all the, you know, God is what's beyond all the dichotomies, you know, beyond is and is not, beyond even, you know, beyond pleasure and pain, beyond um, truth and untruth, um, beyond the three states of awareness. And God is obviously also uh, the self, you know, mm. not, you know, God is, God is what we actually are, what we actually are stripped of the misconceptions about what we are, what we actually are is that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the misconceptions aren't, don't even exist actually. So, um, but that's what God is. Hmm. Good answer, man. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, I, I heard you say like the three, um, what was it? The three stages of awareness or something like that? Yeah. I mean, this is a classical Vedantic idea. Right? I mean, uh, you know, there's that there's, that there's, um, you know, waking, dreaming, and deep sleep. These are the three states of consciousness. This oh. is a, you know, and so, and so the idea is right individual existence that is the sense that you're an individual person um it only really manifests in the waking and dreaming states right like you have this sense of like self-consciousness like oh yeah i'm here um that sense is only there in the waking and dreaming states in deep sleep um there's, there's no reflection because um there's no objects but that doesn't mean that you don't exist it's just that you don't know that you exist in the same way but here's the thing, right? So deep sleep from our waking standpoint, deep sleep, deep dreamless sleep seems like, um, unawareness, like we just unaware. Um, but actually the truth is it's not exactly, uh, it's not exactly that it's more like we are aware of nothing. Mm. You know, in other words, oh, yeah. reason I bring this up is, is, in a way, the whole spiritual search is seeing that uh, the kind of awareness that we have in the waking state, which is uh, which is self consciousness, is is not actually us. That's just a thought. So the waking state of consciousness, which feels like I am a separate person, 
you know, is a reflection. That's the ego, you might say. And what we actually are is that within which that floats. So, mm. and so, and so, you know, we are even in deep dreamless sleep, but, um, but, uh, not aware that we are we are not aware in the same way that we are that's right okay. we're not aware in a reflective way that we are and mm. so discerning the fact that i am not this uh shiny sense of self-consciousness you know that i'm not that if you really can see that clearly then you'll simultaneously uh recognize uh in some sense what you actually are mm. and but wow. it's very hard to see that because the self-consciousness is very very um subtle very subtle so um so so you have to strip away all the um adjuncts that kind of um that are attached to it and then the sort of very thin um piece of like you know scotch tape or something like that is what remains you know it's transparent and and then it doesn't even not even that then remains but um but yeah that, that that that's the reason bring that up is because because um in a way uh in a way, God and the self are beyond all the possible qualities or properties you can give to it, including what we normally think of as awareness. You know, mm -hmm. awareness we normally think of is self-awareness, awareness. You know, it's awareness in the waking state. That's only one kind of awareness. And so the actual awareness with a capital A has to include both what we consider awareness and what we consider unawareness. It includes them both. You know, it's mm -hmm. true of being and non-being. It's true of truth and untruth and all these other things where, you know, even bliss, right? So the bliss of the self, it is bliss, but it's not exactly bliss in the way we normally think of it. It's not like the bliss of eating chocolate cake precisely, although that's not unrelated. Um, you know, the bliss of the self has to be there even when you're experiencing pain. So when you're suffering, mm. it's still blissful in some sense. Well, how is how does that work? Well, the best analogy I can give to it is, which I often give is, is you're watching a really sad movie, let's say, about something horrible happening to people. And even though you're experiencing negative emotions, you know, when you watch this movie, you could still admire the artistry with which it's created, you know, like it's well acted, it's well directed, it's well written, it's well produced, right? The beautiful cinematography, right? The, the craftsmanship of it is there, you know, even in and through the sadness. There's an aesthetic bliss. Mm. So bliss. Yeah, that's, yeah, bliss. that's, that's really what's, what's going on here. Right. So, so the bliss of the self is, is it includes what we would consider states of unbliss and, and unhappiness. Even the unhappiness is in some sense blissful because, because you are, you are even during the state of unbliss, you know? So, um, so we have to be careful with these words, you know, the self is defined in these ways, you know, classic definition again, Vedanta is such a which means, you know, being awareness bliss, but, each of those words doesn't quite mean what we think it means in the usual context. It includes its opposite, right? The being of the self includes non-being, you know, the, the, the um, uh, awareness of the self includes what we consider unawareness, which is like, for example, deep sleep and the bliss of the self includes what we consider pain, for example, you know, which is the bliss that we experience even when we're having negative emotions. Mm. Yeah. Wow. It seems like a, dwelling in this state of of thought process seems to be a way of working with the paradox of the polarities of the mind it's 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 like dwelling somewhere in the middle of the paradox of 
you know, the yin and yang of the world that we find ourselves in. You know, does that make sense? Um, sorry, could you elaborate a little bit? So, 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 so when you say, when you say using the mind, you mean like, 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 uh, like, like, uh, in, in a negative way, you mean like the, when the mind is sort of engaged in itself and, um, and not looking, not, not, not engaged in any kind of practice or, or what do you mean specifically? Sorry, can you elaborate? Yeah. It seems like this path of self-inquiry is navigating between the polarities of the mind of the um how do i explain it like what you just described as like feeling bliss in a non-blissful state but you can still be feel bliss or maybe using a different word for bliss i don't know peace um it's it's being able to like go with the flow it's being able to ride the waves like the ups and the downs of this crazy experience that we find ourselves in it seems like um it's the middle way you know it seems like somewhere just dwelling somewhere in the middle of not being too attached to our mind and not being too attached to being unattached if that makes sense you know there's it's just somewhere in the middle there's there's peace somewhere in the middle of all of that yeah i mean yeah i mean that's uh that's an interesting way of putting it you know i think um yeah, I mean, I, I'm tempted to partly agree with you, but I, I'm also tempted to slightly disagree because I think, <laughs> I, think, I, think well, I think what seems like the middle is actually in some sense um, transcendent of, you know, because 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 the opposites, right? Like, you know, we want to get exit the situation where we where we have to navigate, basically, you know, like we want to exit the situation where we have to, or we're trying to sort of surf, right? Surfing is for a while, but eventually the reason we surf is so that we can exit the whole idea of surfing. Mm -hmm. You know, the reality is the entire picture is happening on a canvas and the canvas is still, you know, or the movie mm -hmm. is happening on a screen. You know, I mean, it's not, not a perfect analogy. Again, it's a, actually there is no screen really, but, but, um, but, but, but there is a stillness even during the motion is the point, you know? So yeah. th that that's the real stillness, which we are basically. Mm. So, so, um, these different, these different polarities, I would say that the way it goes is we move away from, um, the changing and we do come to the unchanging, but the unchanging or, or the relatively unchanging and the relatively unchanging, which is the detached, um, you're right that that's not the end point. Um, that also has to be detached from, which is absolutely correct. But, um, but really, um, that, uh, that move, um, in some sense, reveals that we were not in this game, you know? And so, uh, so, so first you come from, you know, I think, again, a Buddhist concept, you know, from the many things to the one thing. You know, we are trying to get through inquiry and surrender. We're trying to get through the mind from focusing on many different things to concentrating on one thought. Mm -hmm. But then from that one thought, it goes to quote unquote, no thought, you know, which is, which, which really, which really just means that we, um, we're playing a different game altogether. Oh, I see. You know? And so, and so, and you're right. So you're right that, um, that, that, that we're not, um, we don't want to be attached to detachment, but what I want to emphasize is that the ultimate clarity 
gets us out of the sense that we're playing a game because we're no longer playing a game because we're not in the game. You know, we're not, um, that's that's what winning the game is, so to say, is is is, is recognizing that we're not playing, oh. you know, we're not playing. So there's no so there's no surfing, there's no navigating in some sense because uh, because we're not in we're not in the movie. We're sitting in you know, you know, even as I say it, I'm like these these metaphors are all problematic. <laughs> but like you know, we're 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 quote unquote not in the movie. We're 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 we are quote unquote sitting in the theater, and so we're not playing the game. We're not playing. You're not. We're never playing the game actually. Um, and that sense of there being something which is not in the framework of the mind. There's something not in, there's something not, you know, all the polarities back and forth are mental. Mm. We're trying to not navigate between the polarities, but escape polarity entirely. And luckily we can do that because we're not actually in the polarity at all to begin with, mm-hmm. you know? So there's something, you know, we are, we are, and, and, and frankly, the path to it is we actually, uh, the path to that is, is not actually navigating between the polarities. It's going very sharply towards one side first, right? So first, you know, we're caught in the world. Then we go very, very sharply towards detachment very sharply to it. We don't try to mix, we don't try to balance them. We're trying to be totally detached. And through our attempt to be totally detached through inquiry and surrender, then there's clarity that goes beyond even detachment because then mm. there's something which is, because even detachment is uh, not perfect. Mm-hmm. So, so you want something which is perfect and that perfection is what we are. That perfection is achieved through um the destruction of the, or the weakening of the attachments, but it goes beyond them, you know, and then it doesn't really matter, you know, then, then, then you, then you've exited the game. But the point is that it's, um, you know, yeah, I don't know if that, I don't know, I don't know if, that made, if that made any sense. Then the middle way, you know, I do, I do think there's the, the, the which kind of alluded to, I do think is relevant in one sense, which is um, that as a spiritual seeker, you know, uh, to the best of your abilities, what you want to do is you're trying to create conditions where your mind gets quieter. Now, a quiet mind is not the end of the process, but a quiet mind is uh, very critical to the process. And so, so why, for example, do all the different spiritual paths say things like be a moral person, be honest, you know, don't, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, don't sleep too much or sleep too little, eat too much or eat too little. These are all middle path kind of ideas. Um, and the answer is, because if you go to extremes in your way of life, what tends to happen, not always the case, but tends to happen is your mind becomes more agitated. And so when there's more agitation, um, it's, it's, harder to, it's harder to see the truth, basically. You know, the truth is clearly seen in the quiet mind, basically. And so so in that sense, I would say there's a middle path, but basically, basically though, it's sharply veering towards attachment first mm-hmm. and attachment frees you from having to think about things in terms of detachment, but we're trying to, as people always ask, like, for example, how are you supposed to do surrender or self-inquiry when you're doing other things? How do you balance it with real life? Well, the answer is you don't try to balance it with real life. 
you let the mind and the body try to deal with real life by themselves, right? You're not the mind and the body, actually. That's what self-inquiry and surrender are trying to point out. You do self-inquiry and surrender as best you can. This is the hard part. And don't worry about what happens in your life. Let your life take care of itself. Because in fact, that's what's already happening. Your life is already taking care of itself. You're not actually participating. You don't actually have any control over what's happening, though it seems like you do. Um, we're trying to turn our attention wholeheartedly and 100% to the detachment processes of inquiry and surrender, you know, and, um, and not trying to balance them in any way with anything else. Let, 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 let life and the mind and the body deal with themselves. Um, and, uh, and then through that, then there's liberation, even from that effort at detachment. Mm. Wow. This is a great conversation so far. I'm, I'm digging this. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're you're a unique individual, that's for sure. Um, man, do you think the world is ready for this at this point? Like, how are we seven and a half billion people? How are we all going to get on the same page? Well, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> Very simply put, we're not right because because um, you know it's 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 um, it's only those who are um, to whom this strikes about you know rings a bell basically that will be able that will be attracted to this. Mm. You know. Uh, uh, you could tell most people about this stuff and, you know, uh, they would have no, it would no interest in it. Even if they didn't think you were crazy, um, it just wouldn't mean anything to them. They'd be indifferent to it. Um, and, um, it's like, be like, okay, whatever. That's, that's what, that's how most people would react. Right. So, so it's not the case that seven and a half billion people will, will be doing this. Um, and, and frankly, it's, um, it's not, it's not going to happen that way. And, uh, it doesn't really matter that it happens that way. It's it's really not it's really not um, you know, uh, uh, how do I put this? Um, it's not our purpose to 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 force everyone into enlightenment or anything like that. The reality is everyone you know, all these seeming people who are doing seemingly different things are in fact nothing but the self, right? The reality is nobody is actually suffering, you know, which is which is which is, which is a shocking thing to say, but it's the truth. You know, the truth is the self alone is, and everything else is um, illusion, you know? And so, and so uh, all we can do is, and, and frankly, it's not even a choice. The truth is spiritual seekers are spiritual seekers because, um, because the same forces that control the universe force them to be spiritual seekers, basically. Mm -hmm. And so, and so they have no choice over it any more than anyone else has any choice not to be a spiritual seeker. Mm -hmm. But, um, but 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 they're forced to look inwards, and when they do look inwards, eventually it comes to the recognition that um, there is only um, uh, there is only the unlimited peace, and 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 all the idea that that there was a that there was a person who was suffering, who was a seeker, and who then was a finder, and all of that is just fictional, mm. and that's true then for all the other seven billion people who are not doing this. Um, they are they're just as much fictional. The seekers and the non-seekers, they're all in as much as you consider them to be separate individuals, that's fiction, you know, all the way through. And so it's not our, it's not our role. We, we neither have the responsibility and certainly not the power to compel anybody to take this up. You know, um, people who are attracted to it will come to it. And the, you know, those who are not attracted to it, you know, you could, uh, you could shove it down their throats and it wouldn't mean anything to them. You know, it, it wouldn't have any effect, you know, so um, the, they won't be able to hear 
and 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 you you have you have that notion in multiple scriptures. You know, you have that in New Testament. Jesus says, you know, um, you know, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And he says it's going to be a minority of people. You know, he might be talking to a hundred people. He says, of of which there might be only a small fraction that will actually get get at what he's driving at. You know, and and the Bhagavad Gita it said that you know of uh of the many thousands of people that you know. In, in, in many thousands of people, there might be a single person in many thousands who might even be interested in the spiritual path, you know, who might even be interested. Most of them are not even interested. And then, and then of the people who are interested, you know, uh, of many thousands of those people, right, um, only very few are, are, um, are, are, are going to, um, to, to really get to the heart of it. Now, that's true in any particular lifetime. I think the other facet of it is, which is the sort of hopeful message for seekers is, once you start down the path, you know, if we go by scripture, and this is said in a lot of different scriptures, not just Hindu scripture, Buddhist scripture as well, you know, um, that you're starting down a path uh, where your eventual success is guaranteed. It may not be in this lifetime, it may be lifetimes from now, but, you know, if you don't get to the ultimate goal in this lifetime, then you'll well, it is said in the Bhagavad Gita, for example, you will be reborn, um, even though rebirth is a provisional concept that's not really true. <laughs> but you will be reborn, um, and you will pick up where you left off. And so that's, I mean, that's one optimistic way of viewing it for everybody. You could say, oh, all seven and a half billion people, you know, they may not get it now, but somewhere down the line of the infinite number of births we have, they'll pick it up. Um, who knows? Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not true. It, the whole way of looking at it is, is, uh, problematic <laughs> but uh you know it depends on who you ask you know, these become very speculative you know the, 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 there's a story somewhere somewhere in in hindu scripture that says something like okay you know you have so many countless 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 births and you know maybe you start out you know as some kind of insect or bacteria or something like that and you grow into a human being eventually over mil millions or billions or trillions of births and then you know as in as a human being you eventually visit the heavens and become like a kind of angel or demigod eventually. And eventually you gain all these special powers and you gain the power to travel the entire universe and to see everything that's in it and to experience everything there is to be experienced. Um, and at the end of these countless births, having experienced all that the universes have to give you, um, you know, you might say then, uh, is that all there is? <laughs> and at mm -hmm. that point, that's when the spiritual quest then begins. Oh. You know? So but there's different, you different, you know, takes on it, but, you know, so, cause, cause the idea is that, you know, no matter what there is, you know, it's not going to be enough, no matter how many universes there are, it's not going to be enough, you know, because they're all limited. And, um, and so, you know, so that's another way of looking at it, um, about what goes on, you know, there's, there's different ways and there, as soon as you look at it in a certain way, which means that you're now you're engaging in philosophy and speculation, um, you know, there's only going to be different viewpoints and, and there's no, there's not, there's not going to be any way to decide the truth of the matter, because if there is a truth of the matter, it's certainly not available to our mortal minds in that form. You know, it's not, um, it's not going to be an idea that we can think like, Oh yeah, like this is what happens, um, over the many lives. This is the exact sequence of events. You know, um, uh, I very much suspect, you know, if God's mind, uh, uh, you know, uh, is what's creating things. If we want to view it like that, you know, God's mind 
does not work in a way uh, that human minds can can grasp in that form. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's, yeah. it must work in some very different way uh, if we want to view it that way. But the reality is, right? So the, you know, there's so there's because there's two ways of looking at these things, right? So if you ask a question about like how things are, um, you're, you're going to be doomed to philosophical speculation with no end, which can be fun, but will not come come to a conclusion, and we'll have to end up by saying. It's a mystery to us mortals. Maybe God knows. And the other way is to look into who asks the question. And if you look into who asks the question, then there is a dissolution of the question into peace. So in some sense, you would say there was no verbal answer to my question. I asked how things work. I didn't get an answer. I didn't get like the Wikipedia article on how the universe really works. Hmm. Um, but but there was nevertheless a recognition that um, – even the idea, this question about how the universe works is itself based on incorrect view. It's not really, you know, the idea of a universe, the idea of working, all of those things are themselves based on the assumption that I'm here as a separate experiencing doing individual. You know, all the concepts are built on the egoic assumption. Mm -hmm. They're all built on that because it's only if I'm in here separate from the out there that I can name that I can name the world. You know, I'm in here separate from the out there, and then I impose boundaries on the out there. You know, the out there, the not me, I I impose name and form and boundary. And then I can have concepts built on that. But if I look inside and, and say, well, but what is this I that's supposedly at the center and it's different from the outside? And if that then turns out, oh shoot, this is not what it seems to be, then the distance that I've carefully constructed between me and the outside world and upon which all my concepts are built breaks down. Mm-hmm. The name and form that governs them breaks down. And that means the concepts which come from them break down. Language breaks down. And that means the questions like, how does the universe work, break down. So it's a big black hole that sucks all of that into it. Mm. You know? And that's the other way of going about it. Wow. The black hole of self-inquiry. That's right. <laughs> wow that was great man i think we can probably wrap the convo up at that point that's a that's a great point to wrap it up at uh, do you have anything that you'd like to plug anything you'd like to say before we wrap it up uh not really no i mean i i guess you know i guess uh you know uh, as i said i mean i work with p- people in one-on-one i feel like i should do group works if, if if anyone feels like they uh you know would work well with me on a one-on-one situation you know feel free to contact me um uh and, you know, other than that, you know, watch my videos, read my books, you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> that's pretty much about uh, what I would say. Um, uh, and uh, can't think of can't think of anything else really. Um, but, but thank you so much for this very, um, very uh, wonderful and open conversation and, and for the opportunity to, to air my thoughts on various things. <laughs> of course. Of course, man. Thanks for coming on and talking to me. This is a, this was a profound conversation. I think I'm going to go take a walk in the woods and, so, you know, reflect for a little bit after this one. <laughs> These are some heavy topics, but I, I like yeah. it. I like going to the depths, you know, the black hole of self-inquiry. Thank you That's very right. much. Thank you, Gary. And uh, yeah, hope you hope you have a good day, man. Oh, you too. Okay. Take care. See you later.